welcome to Archive Treasures, where we delve into the collection of the Trentham and Districts Historical Society to see what treasures we can discover. Each episode of Archive Treasures, we will be speaking to a member from the Historical Society. They will be telling us about something special, an object that has been preserved as part of the archival collection, an interesting event that occurred, or a project that the Society is undertaking. Archive Treasures is produced on Jajawarong country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners, and we would also like to extend our respects to their elders, both past and present. The quarterly recorder newsletter has been a long-standing publication of the Trentham and District Historical Society since its inception in 1987. The following are snippets from previous editions of the recorder. The articles are read as they were presented, so in some instances in the first person. We hope you enjoy and that the selection is of interest. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, Volume 7, Number 36, March 1994. Trentham and District Sawmills. Since early settlement, the milling of timber has played a significant role in the development of Trentham and District. Pit saws were a primitive method of producing timber, but the work must have been backbreaking and the yield low. Some very early sawmills were powered by water wheel such as Sharps above Trentham Falls, but the majority, later on, were steam-driven. The mills were situated in the forest where the trees were felled and snigged in by horses or bullocks, sometimes using solid wooden-wheeled timber jinkers. Steam-powered traction engines were also used for snigging logs and hauling timber, as well as being the power source for the mill. The sawn timber was carried from the mills on horse-drawn trams which ran on wooden rails, and it is still possible to see, in certain areas, where these tramways traversed the bush. The wooden rails have of course weathered away, but use of a metal detector readily discovers the steel spikes which fix the rails to the sleepers. Bernie O'Connor, from East Trentham, was a well-known horse driver, who controlled his team by voice command, no reins. Nowadays, the mills are situated out of the forest and the logs transported to them by large trucks and huge machinery and chainsaws have replaced the horses, the crosscut saw and the axe. Mills are now powered by diesel engines or electricity. Some large stumps can still be found near North Blackwood showing the slots where boards were used when felling the tree to get above the thick buttress. Sawdust heaps are still visible on some of the old mill sites, but most have weathered to the extent that they are now only three or four feet high. Many heaps were burned in bushfires and have vanished. Locals recall many sawmillers' names, and some are listed here. Enders, Sharp, Ogden, McCashney, O'Hare, Morris, Matheson, Kenner, Kays, Frith, Olson, Proctor, Christian, Truella, Lyon, Byrne, Davy, Tricky Patton Blackwell, Anderson, Whiteman, Sovereign, Beach, Ord, Hayden, Laver, McPherson, 
Thrum, Midgley. Photocopies of old documents show that timber from the mills of McCashney, Whiteman, Truella and Lyon was used in the construction of the Cosmopolitan Hotel. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, Volume 7, Number 36, March 1994. Trentham Streams When Trentham was being planned, reserves were proclaimed on both Trent and Stony Creeks. These reserves were swampy and prone to flooding. To alleviate this, channels were cut and the watercourses straightened through the reserves and onward downstream through private property, almost to the Falls Reserve. Many good fishing holes were ruined by this action, but flooding was much reduced. These streams join just below the Falls Lane, then enter the Coliban a few hundred yards above the Falls. Trentham is situated just north of the Great Dividing Range, and the road between the cemetery and Newbury Corner is along a ridge of this range. When it rains, the water running off the east side of the road goes south into the Lurdy Derg River at Blackwood, then into the Werribee River, and so to the sea. The water from the west side runs north to the Coliban River and finally into the Murray system. Major streams which arise in the ranges of the south side are the Lurdyderg and the Werribee Rivers. Those which arise on the north side are the Loddon, the Coliban and the Compaspe Rivers. Many good springs feed these streams and eels inhabit the southern waters but not the northern. Trentham Historical Society, Inc. Recorder, Volume 8, Number 41, June 1995. Sugar Bags Sugar once came in 70-pound bags, and so went 32 to the tonne. There was always a great demand for the empty bags, with which many household items were made, such as aprons, pig bags, oven cloths, and game bags used in rabbiting or fishing. However, I think the great majority were utilised as tucker bags for carrying home groceries and meat, and every potato digger had at least one. There were two ways of making a tucker bag, one having only one rope and the other two ropes. To make the former, a rounder stone of about one inch and a half diameter was placed inside and in one corner of the bag. A thin rope was then tied around the corner of the bag and the stone prevented it from slipping off. The other end of the rope was then fashioned into a slip knot which fitted over the neck of the bag. In the second type, a stone was put in both bottom corners of the bag, each end of a rope then being tied to a corner of the bag. A noose was then made in the centre of the rope, and this slipped over the neck of the bag. This bag could then be carried on the back from both shoulders instead of from one shoulder as was the case with a single roped bag. Sugar bags, such as this, have been discontinued for many years, and sugar is sold in pre-packed paper bags. The recorder is published quarterly by the Trentham Historical Society. President, Councillor David Drummond. Vice President, Mr Ed McInerney. Secretary, Mrs Elizabeth McInerney. Treasurer, John Cook. Public Officer, Councillor David Drummond. Editor, Mr Bruce McKenzie. Meetings are held in the Mechanics Hall on the third Monday of each month, excepting January. Everyone welcome.
Trentham Historical Society Inc. Recorder, Volume 8, Number 41, June 1995. Rabbits in Trentham and District. Until the introduction of myxomatosis in the 1950s, rabbits occurred in plague proportions in the Trentham District, as they did in most parts of Australia. The original Australian rabbits were introduced from England in early days of settlement for sporting purposes, but having no natural predators, as in their home country, they soon bred to become a curse to agriculture, causing much damage to crops and pasture. The great majority of rabbits were grey in colour and short-furred, but on occasion a rabbit with fur from two to three inches long would be seen, and Jack Gillis, a great hunter, called these, rightly or wrongly, French rabbits. Black, black and grey, grey and white, pure white and yellow rabbits were often seen, also an occasional blue-grey. Many methods were employed in rabbit control, but were usually only partly successful, such as trapping, ferreting and shooting, and at times could be clubbed with sticks in their seats and tussocks. Desperate farmers also used poison baits and ploughed furrows, as well as poison gas introduced into the warrens. Some burrows were dug out and so destroyed. However, to us lads of that period, rabbiting was a popular pastime and provided us with a reliable and enjoyable source of pocket money. Good, cleaned rabbits, hawked around town in the billy cart, would bring sixpence each, and skins, when stretched and dried on bent number eight fencing wire, would sell for up to five shillings per pound. Usually it took five to six skins to weigh a pound. Skins were usually sent to Melbourne per train and packed in a sugar bag. A fast dog, which could catch rabbits on the run, was much prized, while equally useful was a slower one with a good nose, as these were good at grabbing rabbits in seats and chasing them also from the cover of bracken or blackberries toward waiting guns. Two types of ferrets were used, one being pale yellow with pink eyes and the other black and yellow with dark eyes. The smaller female ferrets were most popular as they were not so likely to be able to hold and kill a rabbit and so become stuck up and have to be dug out. We know the darker ferrets as polecats. Ferrets usually sold for seven shillings and sixpence. It was common to see boys coming home from an afternoon's rabbiting with their bicycles and themselves covered in rabbits and it is disappointing that we have no photographs of this. If any reader has such photographs, would they please loan them to the Society for Copying? Rabbits are now scarce in this area, except for pockets here and there. Numbers usually build up in spring, but myxomatosis begins working in summer and eliminates all but the ones which have built up an immunity. Although rabbits are feral animals and regarded as a pest, I would not like to see them disappear entirely, as I have a sneaking regard for them as great little survivors and they afforded me much pleasure in my younger years. Also, in the war years when meat was rationed, there was always plenty of rabbit meat for the table. An old newspaper cutting states that in September 1937, 9,398 bags of potatoes were trucked from the Fernhill Railway Station, as well as 70 tonnes of timber and 21 tonnes of charcoal. For the same period of time from Trentham Railway Station, 14,642 bags of potatoes were dispatched. 
The Cosmopolitan Hotel was de-licensed in the same year. Also, the paper reports that on the 5th of May 1888 there had been much rain and that in front of the Railway Hotel, which is now the site of the Commonwealth Bank, there lay a sheet of water between 50 and 60 yards long and about 6 yards across. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, Volume 7, Number 39, December 1994. Trentham Falls. The good news in this edition is that the Trentham Falls Reserve is again open to the public after a lengthy closure. The falls were declared unsafe and placed off limits after a rockfall was reported by visitors who were standing close by, and the authorities, fearing possible litigation, in the event of persons being injured, erected earth barriers and a no-access sign to prevent entry. These restrictions worked only to a small degree, such as the popularity of the area, for many people ignored the signs and entered as usual. The old viewing platform railing has now been removed, as the site is dipping and is considered dangerous due to natural process. A new viewpoint has been constructed further along, giving a full view of the face of the falls, and photographs can be taken here, saving the necessity of walking further along the track leading below. New paths with handrails have also been put in place, leading down from the car park. The toilets have been rebuilt, due to the fact that they had been completely vandalised, and picnic tables and seats complement this beautiful area. There are other less spectacular waterfalls within a few miles of Trentham, such as Mitchell's and Turpin's Falls on the Compaspe River below Kyneton, Sailor's Falls above Dalesford, the Glenlyon Falls on the Loddon River below Glenlyon, and the Little Falls on the Colaban River, about four miles below Trentham Falls. The La La Falls also occur out from Ballarat. It seems that all of these waterfalls were created by lava flows moving down from pre-formed valleys, the falls forming where the flows ceased. The lava flow which created the Trentham Falls presumably came from Blue Mount or Cranny's Hill, both of which are extinct volcanoes. The first bowling green in Trentham was situated in the paddock behind the Trentham Hotel, then operated by James Bennett. The date of construction would have been about 1936. The pound was on the east side of Bath Street, opposite the cypress trees behind the Mechanics Hall. It was of solid construction with wooden posts and rails, and was of two compartments and about six to seven feet high. Again, we would appreciate photographs and or information regarding these last two items. We also have little information regarding the croquet court, which was in the northeast corner of the grounds of the Mechanics Institute and bounded on two sides by the now large cypress hedge. Its operation was, I think, in the 1940s. You have been listening to Stories from Within the Archives. I'm Rosie Hill, and this is Archive Treasures. If you would like to hear further episodes, you can find our podcasts on our website, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and the Podbean app. 
Archive Treasures is produced by the Trentham and Districts Historical Society. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to hs@trentham.org.au, or go to our Facebook page, Trentham and Districts Historical Society, Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more Archive Treasures.